with, with the upcoming session that I was talking a little bit about earlier with that, like training for UOP trainers, um, there was something that kind of crossed my mind that I guess is quite relevant for, for us in, in this episode as well, which is that there are an, a certain number of people in UIP who would then say to themselves, you know what, I feel like I'm conf- I am I have uh, enough training knowledge that I can train other people in UIP to become trainers, right? I'd say there's a, a finite number of people in UIP who, let's say, reach that level of experience or comfortable or education when it comes to learning design or anything like this to be able to say, you know what, I think I want to go for this. And because of that, what tends to happen and what's happening right now is I start kind of pushing out messages to all different people and try to get this message in front of certain people for them to start to apply and to kind of come in. So then this kind of skews already the people who are applying. But then when it starts to go into that selection process itself, it's quite difficult. Imagine, let's say, there's somebody I push towards and be like, oh, yeah, I'd love to see your application. And then I see their application and I see it as the same level as somebody I have no idea who they are of their application. Is there suddenly a bias that I have towards it because I asked them to apply? So if I say no to them, it's almost like me saying, you know, no, come here, come here. Actually, no, don't come here. And I started kind of thinking to myself that within this kind of almost advertisement of the selection selection process itself and asking people to apply it's kind of needed because there is only, let's say, a, a very finite number of people who may want to apply for that role in the first place. But then on the other hand, like, what does it actually do into that selection process? Have you guys kind of been in that kind of position or had those thoughts before? Yeah, I, I feel like it's always a bit of a tightrope walk. Uh, like, how much do you want to advertise, like, bilaterally by directly approaching people? and encouraging their applications and not doing it. I personally usually didn't do it just for like the sake of impartiality, maybe. Uh, I mean, I've had people I know apply to sessions, but well, to, to panels that I've been on, but not with my like encouragement i mean yeah there have also been instances where i would just um what's the word recuse myself from the selection or for, from commenting on that one applicant just because i felt a bit in a in a gridlock yeah usually that's how i tried to stay out of this moral dilemma by not encouraging people because then it kind of gets the hopes up of, well, now that I've encouraged this person to apply, it's hard to turn them down. Usually if you extend a call, then you can discuss it. But I think I would never unilaterally just approach people. I think that's going to be very difficult, especially now with Corona. And I was talking about this with um, part of the leadership of the session I'm about to open a call for. And what we've been kind of noticing is that during this corona pandemic, it's very difficult to get people to apply in the first place. And UIP sessions, Facebook group, that's usually the place to just, okay, if you want people, just make good uh, calls and post them there. Good memes. (laughs) Yeah. 
try, try to make some quality memes there <laughs> or just shit post some random thing that's been there over a hundred times. But at this point, because there hasn't been any physical sessions, the people that are looking at EYP calls in, in that Facebook group, it's a lot less. Like the post gets a lot less traction. And since people have been promised so many physical sessions that again got then got turned into hybrid or postponed or made even online, it people just aren't looking for that. So you can you're kinda in this position of okay, I can just make put the call out there and hope that people apply. But if I'm looking for a specific skill set like Nathan or looking for a large number of people like myself, it's um, it becomes a more of a difficult thing of, okay, how do I actually make sure then if I'm not approaching people directly, how do I make sure that we get enough applications that are good? Mm. Yeah, I, I see that problem. Also, just because I feel like there is a bit of a shift also in the member base um, where the people who have done, let's say, a significant number of physical sessions are kind of phasing out uh, just due to either age or different life plans or not being attracted by the format of a digital or hybrid session. and. Then on the other hand, there's the group of people who is doing a lot of uh, digital sessions. And there's a target group for this kind of event as well. But they don't necessarily overlap. Or they do overlap, but they're not the same. I feel like it's a very different format of doing EYP, which requires different skills or values from applicants. I think we'll have to find a way to to adapt to this new yeah situation. Uh, a question I have for both of you is um, applications, when you go through them, anonymous or not anonymous when you're on that selection panel? Personally, I've done both. There's merit to evaluating an application purely on what is being said, but that does discard a lot of valuable information like the experience level of this person like it's you can have an external person input more or less what kind of sessions they've been to but you cannot do that in a way that doesn't to a degree de-anonymize the application because if you know that you have a friend who was interested in applying and you more or less know their session history and then you go to the selection panel that's supposed to be blind, and you see that someone's done nationals in exactly the same countries as this person you know has done, it's no longer anonymous. But if you anonymize the application to that point that you cannot know where this person has done sessions, it's, it becomes a, another problem then where you can cannot necessarily as will judge the experience of the participant. Like doing a regional session in Finland is going to be very different from doing a regional session in UK where they usually just one day GA days. And if you 
kind of try to like i was thinking about this at some point of making a feature for the new members platform that's under development at this point i believe where you could just ha- toggle a anonymous selection mode that would then somehow try to summarize the experience level of these people by looking at the length of the session the amount of amount of participants from different nationalities the experience level of the officials in general that were more or less in the same role that could you could kind of make some sort of a evaluation of what what level of a session was it that they participated at but then you know that's a whole other bag of value questions of how valuable is an experience of an EYP session? So it, it's definitely not a simple question. Like this, also then that brings evaluations into a really difficult point. Of okay, well, evaluations usually mention the person by name who it is evaluating. So if you want to anonymize selections, do you then go through all the evaluations and anonymize them as well, which is a too big of a pile of a job to put on a random person that's not on the selection panel. But then what are you sacrificing? What are you gaining to sacrifice that uh, amount of valuable information that you could get from an evaluation? Not that evaluation should be taken as an ultimate truth, but you can get an idea from them. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've also had both. I've been on the panel of one anonymous selection and the rest of them were non-anonymous. Um, I, I mean, yeah. In in this one case, there was just one member of the panel who uh, was entirely in charge of anonymizing the applications, and then was barred from actually commenting on the applications. It was still before the members platform, so the applications were actual PDFs where it was somewhat possible. And then when it comes to levels of experience, I think we just went with, I don't know, three regional sessions, two national sessions or whatever, indicating it like this. I've heard other people doing it and being very positive about it being very highlighting a lot of advantages and i see that i just think it's a huge logistic task which can get too much for certain sessions or for certain instances and in my case usually the level the amount of or the percentage of applicants that i knew was usually very low. It was usually like, uh, if you had 50 people applying, I w- might have known two or three of them. And I felt like with a certain level of experience, I trusted myself to be aware of the situation of a potential bias in these two or three cases. And this would then allow me to deal with it without the effort of anonymizing everything. It's funny that so when I asked about that anonymizing side, um, the I guess the the implementation of that kind of an anonymizing side is very different to, let's say, the way I've tried or the way I kind of had in mind of, of this idea, which is that um, 
for me, the, the main thing I realized uh, where I think I know for me, a lot of bias comes in is let's say, let's say Lars applies for a role and I'm taking a look at this. Um, on the one hand, if I know Lars uh, and then I start to read his application and I start to read different bits of it, I start to fill in blanks with my mind based on things that I know about Lars. So I'm not actually reading what he wrote. I'm reading what I know about him, plus whatever he's written there and fill in the blanks myself to kind of say, oh, I understand what he's trying to say here, blah, 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 and start to build it myself. Um, or secondly, let's say if I don't know Lars, but I then see his session history and I'm like, oh, actually, he's done all these different things. And then I start to read his application. Once again, I start to fill in the blanks and I already have a kind of a bias towards me to say, oh, I want this person or I don't really want this person. I don't really think they're going to be up to this because of X, Y, Z. And then I start to look into the application and I start to read their answers to different questions. And then I start to have a huge bias against them versus whatever happened before. So for me, when I think about anonymizing, I normally think about um, all of the answers to the questions are kind of graded or commented or highlighted in different colors or some kind of scale for people to say this is i think this one's a great one for these reasons this one's not a great one for that reason etc uh to do all of that without knowing who these belong to or what session history or anything like this so i'm just independently reading answers to questions and thinking what do, what, what are my thoughts about this answer to question and then after we kind of like have all of these we then come together and then we see, okay, for the first person, we can now see their name, we can see their session history, we see all the different things that they've said, and we get to see all the stuff that we think about them. And so if suddenly now I've actually said that this person's amazing, and they really have a great insight, and I can just see that they've been a delegate once in the session, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Um, or let's say if it's somebody that I knew, but I put really they they haven't bothered to, to kind of write much <laughs> or they uh, then there's like some substantial thing lacking then when i go into there it's easier for me not to be twist towards my bias about them because i've clearly written and i've said that this is a bad application what do you guys think about like that approach to anonymous i think it's difficult first of all it's worth pointing out that there are several members of the uh, on the selection panel so you're not the only one which means that others will read this application without a bias. But it also means that other selection panel members might have people they know as well and might have a bias towards as well in the pool of applicants. Mm -hmm. And I think to a certain degree, like if you have a certain level of, let's say, professionalism or personal maturity in the selection panel, you can be very open about this. I mean, usually I I have a, like a, a template, uh, a spreadsheet for, for a selection, and then you would grade them for, for various criteria, which are some, which are to, to the highest possible extent objective. And then there's also a, a category uh, which is, I know this person personally and can comment as follows, which then kind of forces you to declare the relation you have to this person, which I think is very helpful. I mean, part of it is also that the application isn't 
100% of the final grade, let's say, because if you take into considerations, uh, if you take into consideration other factors like gender balance, regional balance, I think the key to it is really to be honest enough towards the other members of the selection panel that you might know a person and you might have a very good opinion of uh, of them or a bad one, and yeah, to also respect that other members of the panel might have a different opinion and then the application which you thought was a good one is maybe just a mediocre one i i really like this idea that that you're talking about there of like guiding people so creating this kind of template and actually guiding the different people in that selection panel on saying these are the rules of the selection this is what we want to evaluate against this is our selection criteria um and providing those kind of templates helps people align these things a lot easier i guess um as opposed to saying okay you're in the selection panel so of course you must know how this runs and you must be able to do this it's kind of like saying you're a chairperson okay because you have the title of chairperson you must know how to chair a committee go ahead no we give training we give guidance so i do like this kind of idea of guidance yeah i mean what I usually did was like either I provided the template myself or I came up with it uh, with other members of the panel and give like set out a few a few a handful of criteria like level of academics, uh, motivation, uh, how thought through is this application, personal comments as well. Yeah, I might be missing one or two of them, but yeah, to understanding of the role certainly. Uh, to set out the expectations you have and then to go for that, basically trying to make it as as formalized as possible. I think definitely the part of bringing the other selection panel members on board of the criteria and the way of doing it is important because it's easy as a team leader of, let's say, okay, we're selecting for my team to just be like, okay, we're going to do it my way. So here's how it's going to be. But I don't know, like EYP is a place where people are there to kind of have an experience themselves as well. So it's really difficult to have a completely objective selection panel, even if you try, like even if you do the most logical way of anonymization and put so much effort into having it that way, you're still going to be in different states of minds when you're reading applications. Like you're gonna react to them differently based on what kind of mindset you are. Let's say you have a huge amount of applications, you're gonna have a couple of different days to read over them. Or you're gonna be a very different person when you're reading the first application and at the end of the second day, once you've read 30 applications and they're all kind of blurry in your mind already with people saying the same things. So it's a I don't know, like the value of how much you anonymize and try to make it fair and objective through that does kind of, it's it's not completely objective on how, how it is with that. And it's also a very valuable lesson in EYP that nepotism is rampant in the world. That That's definitely one of the lessons I learned in EYP very thoroughly because selection bias is real and people are gonna select their friends 
although that, that's up to you as a team leader, whether that's the way you want to do it. Uh, I'm also perhaps not the person to go to a head organizer to say, hey, you've put your entire free time into organizing this thing for a year and you really want to spend some time to have your friends at the session as well, but you can't do that because I say yeah. so. I, I think it's it comes down to like the the expectations you set towards the selection. And yeah, you have these mechanisms which you can use to uh, kind of try to recalibrate that. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in the end, we are like the members of the selection panel are humans as well. I mean, there are also applications which which just resonate so much with one person on the selection panel and the other people just find it rather mediocre. I, I think something that uh, these selections have taught me as well is that you can't always win. I mean, you can be good, but like you can raise the the chances of your success. There's also sessions I didn't get into. And yeah, the only thing you can do is try to improve your applications, yes, but also in the end, to a certain degree, it's also a game of numbers. And with more applications, like the more applications you send in, the more chances you might get to actually get a place. Yeah, in, in the end, there's also like a, a selection panel might agree, at least that's what I usually did, to not only have a chairs team, for example, composed of eight people who are pretty much on the same level, uh, but to have, let's say, in a team of eight chairpersons, you would have two people who are very experienced, who are pretty much on the verge of VPing, and then you would have uh, three or four people who have chaired once or twice before, but that's it more or less. And then you have uh, maybe one or two or, or three first timers to which you want to give the opportunity as well. And if you have this in mind, you might like you can also realize that even if you are super qualified and you apply to a session for a role, and there are people less experienced getting in, it might not be like a judgment of your qualities. It might just be also the question of how the how the team leader wants their team to look like. Yeah, I think it's also important to just accept that it sometimes might be that the you just had a bad reputation or that you didn't have enough of a reputation within the selection panel because it's going to happen in real life. Like you're going to apply for a job and they're going to take someone that they know, someone that they worked with before, or maybe even a relative or a personal friend that definitely happens on very large organizations in Europe. And I find it really interesting how the selection panel can actually come to these kind of decisions because it happens all the time. Um, the, I, I, so I, I did my master's in human resources and I, my thesis was basically our discussion kind of around this. But, but more specifically, what my thesis was really looking at in particular was really 
um, looking at a really, really fucked up part of selection panels, which is this. It's really, really messed up, which is um, selection panels have quite a lot of validity in terms of being able to predict whether somebody is going to be good in a role or not. If they take a look at information, bring it between them, discern that information, select who they think best, etc. So selection, selection panels themselves can be pretty good for selecting people. However, you, you get rid of almost every single bit of validity if you allow the panelists to talk to each other. It's really messed up. It's really messed up. But in, 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 in academia, so you look through any papers relating to selection panels um, and the validity, as soon as selection panelists can actually have a discussion with each other about their thoughts about certain candidates and start to go through, the more they have a discussion, the more the validity goes down. And it's because selection panels are politics. Imagine the three of us here are in a session. Lars is president, I'm HO, and let's say Joel is a, uh, let's say he's a VP. Okay, and so we've got the, I've just thrown, <laughs> thrown out the titles to, to, just for something here. Um, imagine we're, we're, we're in this situation. So the thing is, uh, Lars being the president, um, let's say he shares a certain thing and he puts in his opinion and he says, you know what, I think this candidate is really great for these reasons. Well, Lars is coming into the room with the title of president. And he's coming in with all of this baggage of experience and stuff like this. So now, let's say me being a head organizer, if let's say we're discussing chair selection and I don't know as much about chairing and I don't know as much about the qualities needed for this stuff, what I'm going to do is I'm if I don't agree with Lars and I kind of say my opinion, it could sound stupid because Lars is the person coming here with more expertise, more knowledge and more this stuff. So he's probably right, and I'm probably just flawed in my opinion. So it's probably best that I just learn from his opinion and, and start to change my perspective to hear stuff. So in terms of differences of experience, this could happen. But then also you have the politics of, let's say, Joel, you report to Lars. Well, if you report to Lars and you disagree with him, then you are basically trading your relationship with him versus this candidate. Uh, d d debate or discussion whether we should select this person so constantly between all the different panelists there is constant politics going on between each other and exchanges of i'm going to agree with you this time but next time i'm going to put my foot down or you know i can't win every battle and it's just constant little exchanges like this between them that actually in effect afterwards it dramatically decreases any validity the selection panel had when it came to selections what According to almost every paper, there was a beautiful meta-analysis done surveying, I think, more than 100 different studies on this. And they, they basically found there was like 40 plus percent validity that you could obtain having a selection panel where each person uses some kind of Excel sheet using metrics exactly kind of like what Lars pointed out beforehand. You fill in this kind of thing, you put it between everyone. And then from that, you then just discern who gets selected. So everyone's got their opinions that comes in, and then there is some kind of mechanism that goes from that to a selection. It sounds completely inhumane, but it is the best way to then pick people based on measuring their ability to deliver afterwards um, and having a look at all this stuff. You get rid of all of that validity as soon as panelists talk to each other. But imagine doing an EYP selection panel 
where panelists can't talk to each other. Or imagine a jury selecting delegates when they can't actually talk to each other at the end. I mean, I've heard of a selection panel which was pretty much just mathematical, where everybody would just assign grades and then each applicant would get like a calculation of all these grades being their final grade, which you can do. I mean, the, if this is the format that the selection panel wants to go for, that's fine. It's not the process I would go for. I think in the end, it comes down to the question to what or who you are looking for. Because I would argue there's more to a team than just the, let's say, mathematical grades that you assign to these people based on their applications. For example, soft, soft skills, all these factors where you could get the feeling that somebody might be, for example, academically outstanding, but not really helpful to a team's dynamic, or where you can see that, for example, certain people would pretty much inevitably clash. Yeah, in the end, we are humans, and that's why I always kind of refrained from making selections more more scientific, more mathematical, but that's a personal choice. <laughs> yeah, I think the closer you are going to be working with the team, the more important it's going to be. Like choosing editorial assistants versus mm. journalists is going to be a very different task because Absolutely. the effect that they're going to have, their internal personal compatibility is going to have on the team is a lot greater than what the chairperson's interpersonal compatibility is going to be. From a lot of a lot of what I hear from, from, from both of you is this, I guess, almost assumption that, let's say, if I'm in a selection panel, I can fill in certain blanks to know a little bit more about a certain candidate, such as their soft skills, such as certain elements or com compatibility with these other team members or how this can work together. Um, I, I kind of think maybe sometimes we overestimate our ability to do so. So instead of actually selecting the actual people and according to their merits and stuff, maybe we're kind of selecting our vision of them or our, our idea of them and how we think they fit as a puzzle piece with these other pieces. But in fact, we're not really focusing on them too much, but it's more our idea of them with all the different blanks that we fill. I think it will, it's impossible to get a completely perfect objective view of the applicants because there's so many different factors that come into play for how they write their applications. Like you don't, you never have a perfect information of, okay, this is the merit of one applicant versus the merit of the other applicant. Maybe the questions that you set for the selection panel or for the applicants to answer to apply for your session, maybe they fit the mind of one applicant, but not the other. How, how does that all fit into this of if we try to completely objectively bring it into view? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll have to agree. I mean, I, 
it kind of reminds me of a discussion I recently had where someone said, actually, we have no way to tell if the color blue that we both call blue um, is actually the same thing we're talking about or we're seeing. But we have just agreed implicitly on what the color blue is or each other color. In the end, I think it comes down to the, well, we are humans and we're trying our best. And I would also at some point say that it's up to the applicant to persuade the selection panel member members that they should be selected. So we, we can absolutely try our best and we should, but I think we should also acknowledge and accept the fact that we are humans and that, um, for example, a person might be different than what they portray in their applications or what we perceive from their application. And there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, I was thinking about this when I did selections for a bigger session in, in a country far away where I literally knew no nobody who applied. And then I was also wondering, like, based on what am I selecting these people? I have absolutely no idea if these people are actually what they right they are. I have no idea if the application actually fits the person who wrote it. But at the end of the day, that's all what we have. I mean, what else do you want to ask for? <laughs> Literally, uh, have you guys ever helped someone write their application or proofread and then send them suggestions based on what they yes. make their application <laughs> Same thing, right? We've all done that. So that's true. So people are applying. And let's say some people, it's just purely their application. They sent it through. Someone else, let's say first time chairing, and they send it to somebody uh, like one of us three. And we were like, oh, actually, you may want to kind of rethink this, rethink that, edit this a little bit more. And then suddenly they appear as like, oh, my God, this person is a first time chair, but they really have this insight. They seem amazing. That's so true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what, what do we do? There's nothing you can do for that. I mean, that's pretty much the, the reversed scenario of this. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think the only thing you can do at that point is um, adjust the selection panel so that you can maximize the use of your intuition. Because as we interact with a person, we have a, we get a pretty good image of what their competences are, just just within the first couple of seconds of what what kind of image we get from interacting with them, and especially. Like it, it might be, of course, it might be completely incorrect, but there's a lot of um, merit to how human beings over time evolved to handle different personalities and handle interacting with people and learning, should I trust this person when a lion is chasing me? Like the human mind, there's, there's a lot of interesting literature on this and how uh, these, there, there was an one case where I think there some museum or gallery in the United States was offered a 
rare Greek, ancient Greek statue to purchase. And there were years and years of uh, trying to figure out whether it's genuine, how, how, how does it like compare to these comparable statues that we know the existence of, that we know are genuine. We, they took all sorts of carbon dating and the end to end, they ended up buying it for a really large sum of money. But the first time it arrived to the museum and the experts saw it, all of them went, eh, it doesn't feel right. But all that extra study that they did on it made them feel, uh, made the museum management decide, okay, we, the data says that this is real. But the people that actually interacted with a lot with that in the past got that in initial gut feeling of this doesn't feel right. And it wasn't real. So we can maybe somehow try to push our selections in a way that eliminates this kind of external factors. Maybe we can ask certain kinds of questions. Maybe we can have the applicants submit videos of themselves talking about it so we get an idea of their personality and how they interact with things. Of course, that's a whole other thing of uh, interacting with a camera versus interacting with people. But that doesn't, does, isn't like all of this the foundation of what's causing so much racial bias, um, sexist bias, or bias on different personality levels or stuff like this? Because the more we allow ourselves to receive extra information for our gut to kind of make decisions or we, we kind of see a bit more for us to fill in the blanks a lot more than the less we actually have access to that information and the more it's just ourselves projecting. So like, let's say in this example, sending somebody a video, now I'm taking into account their appearances. I'm taking into account their voice. I'm taking into account these little things and then suddenly I'm going to build a picture and say, do I want this person or do I not want this person? How do I feel about this person? As opposed to saying, well, I'm going to create some kind of fair selection basis and everyone gets to compete at a equal rate. And then based on that, certain people will form this team. And now I work with this team to do my best. Well, I think this uh, part of you as a team leader that should aim to discount all of your personal biases when it comes to things like race and gender and appearance. That's something, of course, that's having just the application without the video, it doesn't necessarily disqualify that. You see the nationality of the person, you, your member's platform has their picture attached to their application, their age, these kinds of things. They're, in a way, already accessible to you. And even if you do what you were, Nathan, talking about of uh, just anonymizing the written answers, you still afterwards get that extra information about the person and then those biases hit you again. So this, like, this, in a way, all you can do for that is to try and be as non-judgmental as you can when it comes to those kinds of things. And I think we can do a lot better with that within EYP, there's a lot of a lot of problems that arise from that. But then again, if you try to, like it's, it's a double-edged sword. Like if you avoid this kinds of intuitive judgment of per people and you lean on this kind of blind statistics of what they wrote, 
you run into this again problem of well did someone help write their application like you don't know That's that true. i mean there's nothing you can do to 100% eliminate all kinds of bias and i think it's also to a certain degree the nature of a selection panel that there are applicants uh, applications that resonate more with certain members than with others i mean i've i've had applications where i for example the application of let's say a for uh, somebody who has never chaired before but who gives me the the spirit or kind of the yeah convinces me to give them a shot let's put it that way um to kind of look past a lack of experience because you uh, resonate well with the work ethic of a person for example or i mean there there have been applica uh, applications where i would kind of see a younger version of myself in it as well which i'm aware that this is highly subjective but it resonates with me as a person and i think if you're aware of it that's a valid observation as well that's true um thinking of like all, all these different bits that, you, that you're talking about there Lars um, I think there's probably just a, a very small minority within UIP who actually go to that extent of thinking about all these different things and going through all these different structures like if you do a selection panel where the international international office is involved versus doing a selection panel for a small regional session somewhere you'll see a massive difference in terms of the structure taken, in terms of all these precautions, in terms of the discussions around biases and these different bits that are happening. Um, so maybe that's something that EYP kind of needs to work on, which is building out some kind of robust selection panel or bias training where there is more structured information out there people can learn more about how to recognize these different things and how doing one kind of decision may have adverse impacts that we don't think about so let's say uh, for example uh, if, if i throw out what, what one one thing here that, that, that i've been thinking about is that within selection panels um, i feel you could have one of three main kind of goals you could try to aim for fairness, you could try to aim for equity, or you could aim for um, the best possible team. So like, uh, uh, let's call this A team. So let's say if we're aiming for fairness, fairness would be um, I give everyone the same criteria and based on that criteria, I make sure that the people who best match that criteria are selected. So that's making sure it's fair for every single person who applies. And that if they did get in or if they didn't get in, it's because of them versus that criteria that was formally laid out there in the structured approach. It's all about the fairness. The equity side is really takes into account more the uh, diversity and inclusion. And then to realize that actually not everyone has those same opportunities. So uh, just because something's written really well doesn't necessarily mean that they're they're going to be a great candidate. It could just mean that they're native, you know, versus somebody else who could be a really great candidate who does that who doesn't come with that same set of language skills or the people around them to help fine tune that or those different bits. Uh, but then on the third hand, you could be thinking about how do I let's say piece together the perfect A team that would work 
really well together to deliver value for my session. And let's say out of those three things, I think myself, I sit mostly in the fairness kind of column of those three. Um, but maybe that's not the approach EYP really wants to push forward. Uh, maybe there's a certain approach or a certain balance between them that we actually think is better than others. Um, if, if, if you two had to kind of put yourself, let's say, in one of those three columns, or let's say had to hold one of those three higher than the other, which one would you? I'm I'm struggling a bit. Like, is are these three factors really like a triangle, or is it more of a spectrum with total equity on one side, total uh, what was it, quality on the other side, and the 18 being somewhere in between? So I would say there'd be like fairness, equity, and 18. So like, the, and I guess in my mind, I kind of see it as a triangle where you kind of move away from one when you push towards the other. So if you want to push towards fairness, what you're pushing towards is saying that it doesn't matter whether you're better or not than this person. It, it doesn't matter what background you've come from, whether someone's helped you or not, or this stuff. I just want to make sure that everything is fair based on the criteria I've set. So then everything is like planning structural, structural things and anonymity and all these kind of things to make sure that we strive for fairness. Another side could be taking into account that equity part of really understanding that actually everyone doesn't come from the same footing. So we need to take that into account. And let's say those bits and plus really deal with our, all of our different biases to make sure that our, our selection can be as equitable as possible. But then when you do that, you may not be putting together the 80 because it's a, it's almost, because you're, it's a trade-off because you're, you're prioritizing equity above other stuff. And it may not be the fairest selection because let's say I want, I want to make sure that I have a better ratio between males and females. And I have uh, five really good female applicants and let's say six really good female applicants and two really good male uh, that I would have put in that team for the 18. Well, if I'm thinking about more equity side, maybe there's a female in which it's now going to be slightly unfair for them not being selected, but it's because I'm prioritizing equity and I'm going to put an extra guy in that team as well. So I feel like these three are very much trade-offs between them. Do, do, do you find like a path where they cross or where they're not trade-offs or? That's hard to say. I mean, this, uh, this is uh, strange for an EYP context, but I don't like these models. <laughs> Um, because I kind of tell myself to, to not overthink too much in certain given categories. Like I would generally go for an A team, if you want to call it that, to have a good team that gives the best possible experience to all participants. But, uh, because in the end, that's what I, as a team leader, am responsible for. It might sound harsh, but as a member of a leadership of a session, I'm not accountable to all applicant uh, to all applicants, but to the session participants in the first degree. So my first interest is to give the participants of an event the best possible experience. And then 
I mean, usually NCs try to balance this by saying, for example, if you select 10 people for a, uh, a team, we want to have at least three or four from our own for, from our own NC. And then you try to go for that quota, but if it doesn't work out, uh, then you find a way around it. Um, no, you don't find a way around it. You, uh, <laughs> you give yourself the freedom to deviate from the role or uh, the rule or the quota if you have like a, a valid reason for it. I wouldn't go for, I mean, yeah, having a quota of, let's say, 30% domestic people, or I mean, I've seen 50% domestic people, is fine if there are people who deserve to be qualified, who deserve to be selected from also like a general level of fairness, but to also be honest with the other members or the NC in particular saying that, well, yes, I could select three more people from your NC if you force me to, but I'm not happy with them judging from the application, the level of experience or whatever. And then you have to find, like you have to negotiate for a solution. Uh, That example that you brought up there for me is a perfect example of like, equity versus 80 because um i would say that if you want to pick a certain ratio of said these have to be of of our nc this is about equity this is about diversity and inclusion because not everyone has the means to be able to travel abroad for sessions and so they want to make sure that they keep enough uh, spaces where people uh who won't have to then pay a lot of money to be able to come to the session can have that opportunity so that is really great for equity. However, oh, I see Joel's making faces. So, so uh, think think of it this way. Uh, imagine, let's say, somebody, uh, we're doing a session in Baku. Okay, so doing a session in Baku and somebody, they, they say that we want to have at least 40% of the team, um, of the chairs team from, from the Azerbaijani NC. Well, one way to think about that is that actually the people from the Azerbaijani NC, every time they need to travel, it's going to cost them quite a lot of money to, to go externally and to build up more experience. And so that's going to create a certain type of Azerbaijani EYP. And then it's, you're only going to have upper to middle class Azerbaijani EYPs because the rest don't have the ability to gain this experience. Because even when there's a session that they can finally attend, it's being open to everyone and there's could be way more competition and they don't get the opportunity to then develop and grow. But this is con- in a, this is not aligned with the A-team. The A-team, uh, you're not going to be building the best team if you're going to force yourself to say, I have to have this number, I have to have this quota of these of people from this NC. And you could say that it's not actually fair either because not everyone is going to be regarded on the same criteria basis as they're applying. So that's what I mean by like these three and that when when you go into a selection panel, you're building a strategy towards this, you consciously or unconsciously prioritize one of these three. Yeah, I think it's definitely a trade-off within this this triangle. I think 
some priority should be given to all of all of the sides. Like I personally, what I would do these days, I think what I did in my last election panel is that first I would just discard all the applications that clearly are not qualified. Like if you have, let's say 10 spots and you have only 15 applications that are more or less equally qualified, that those are the 15 applications that we're going to consider for the roles. Then personally, I would go for the A team, build that. And then if I see that it's only females, then something would hopefully be done about that if that would be possible within the frame of the 15 people. But yeah, I think it's definitely something for the selection panel and the team leaders to figure out what their priority is. And I don't think there should be a general one for EYP. Like uh, that's that will be forcing people too much, and that will never be reality as uh, selection panels called these days, and will go in the future. But the the thing I, I've been really pondering about lately with myself is how do we then, let's say we have these priorities that we hold as team leaders. How do we then pose application questions in a way that is beneficial for the applicants? Like how do we ask questions that give people the opportunity to show their best parts? Because we can just ask questions about, I, I'm looking for a specific type of answer to fit my vision. But how could we do that in a more inclusive way? Have you guys done anything around that? What do you mean by ask the questions in a more inclusive way? Do you mean that you kind of give space to the applicant to really demonstrate something that they want to demonstrate as opposed to you? saying whether this is what what I want or what I don't want? Is it like trying to empower the applicant more versus the selection panel? The way I would phrase it is to avoid restrictive questions, like avoid restrictive um, qualities to the questions. Like what, what would a good question be in terms of a person regardless of their personality type? could answer it in a way that could show their good sides. I, I feel a, a, lot, a lot of thought around these kind of questions and then how we build them should be based on um, a bit like what Lars was saying beforehand is having a specific selection criteria of saying, okay, I've told everyone that this is the role of a chairperson or this is the role of a media team member. And then I'm going to be building my selection based on this role. And so what questions can I now ask you that tells me whether you meet these parts of the role? So let's say one part of the the um, chairperson's role is to uh, facilitate a team. Okay, so I can think of what kind of question could I create that tells me about can you facilitate a team? Or if you start to kind of break, break down the role of whichever application uh, like thing that you're applying for, and start to link those to specific questions that give you an insight to that. But at the same time, kind of like you're saying there, to kind of give them enough space for them to truly show themselves. But how do you walk that line? 
Like, how do you create questions that you know what kind of qualities you want the applicants to answer with without planning the questions in a way that is a that could exclude a specific type of personality from giving the answers you want in a way? I mean, you ask various questions. It's usually a given that uh, applicant one is doing better in questions one, two, three, and applicant two is doing better in questions two, three, four, and then it gets kind of averaged out. I mean, usually I would point my application questions like... You, you have to get conscious about what you actually want from your application questions. And I usually would point them in different areas to get to know different parts of the personality of an applicant. Um, so, for example, one question would be, a question I always liked is, uh, tell us about a book slash article you've read recently or a video slash movie you've seen recently and tell us why it was interesting. And then I would also expect an applicant to try to understand this question in the meaning of not only what am I asked, like not only what is the literal meaning of this question, but what am I trying to learn from that person? Um, so, for example, once when I when I asked this question, one response was giving me the word limit was maybe, let's say, 300 words. And then 280 words of the question were pretty much a summary of that movie that this person watched about some portrait of some person. And... Then the last sentence, I think it is a very interesting movie because it is an, about an interesting person, which answers the literal question that I asked. But maybe the reason of that question was that I tried to understand more where that person is coming from, where that person is standing in their life uh, and what kind of content they consume that makes them reflect. So I would like to see some kind of reflection on the content of that book or movie versus society or their everyday life or whatever. Um, so that would be one question uh, where you would see if there is already a certain sense of reflection in a person, which is something that I'm looking for in a team, for example. And another question would be, tell us uh, about a conflict you once faced and how you solved it, like very basic. This would tell me something about a person's problem-solving skills and maybe social skills, and maybe I would learn something about their teamwork abilities. Who knows? Yeah, it's these kinds of open-ended questions. Or also, like you, you can, for example, by setting a very low word limit you can force people to get very specific and 
considerable uh, considerate about what they actually try to get across so these are kinds of tools that you can play around with and i think to a certain extent in the end as a selection panel as a member of a selection panel once that i've formulated these questions i like then it's also up to the applicants to convince me <laughs> if you want to put it that way um yeah to like that a candidate would have the ability to highlight their strengths and to convince the panel uh, of their qualities which i think um yeah is a factor which should be weighed in as well so i guess something like that favors people who are more persuasive so let's say someone's got good communication skills and is a persuasive person and like you know that person who can sell anything um i guess they are kind of favored in that kind of sense and maybe does that go to what you're saying joe of let's say if somebody from a very different personality type or a different approach of this that maybe they don't have that great way to persuade or to communicate but they have other really great skills that could be there worthy of that too i guess is that where you're also coming from joe i mean in the end it's it's a it's a function of so many different factors i do think being able to sell yourself is a quality that one should have um and to a certain extent i mean eyp is also a a school or a a training camp for life out there <laughs> uh with air quotes um so it, it's also for us a, a learning opportunity where we can try to yeah learn these skills um and yeah if you have like there are people who can't sell themselves and there are people who literally write their grades into their applications because they are so proud of their good grades and that they are the the speaker of their class or whatever which then becomes too much at a certain point we're all here to learn something and so so based on that and based on the things that we've discussed what do you think about um kind of the creation of two types of training then two two new types of training for eyp and yes i'm always on, on about trying to create new types of training i just love training it's uh, <laughs> my life you know that's my job. That's my life. It's As if somebody is working on a training. <laughs> exactly. It's always like, oh, let's create a new type of training. This sounds cool. So, um, so in that in that in that example you were just talking about there, maybe a training for applicants. So, interview training exists, right? Um, so in schools, people are taught how to perform in interviews and what to think about and how to answer certain questions. Uh, you're more kind of let's say uh, rich schools will help you do interview training for universities that you want to then apply to and stuff like this. Um, so that kind of material does exist out there and it is something people do. So maybe introducing that into EYP to 
help applicants and saying, okay, you can apply here. And also, if you are hesitant about applying, here's some application training that can give you some cool tips about how to write your application, how to think through this. And then on the other hand, what do you think about selection panel training? So when people want to form a selection panel, to kind of think about, okay, well, how could we actually build this in a certain structure? How can we work through this? What are things to bear in mind? And this kind of stuff. I think especially for selection panels, it's very idealistic. Um, as much as I would love EYP to have completely educated uh, selection panels, the reality of it is most selection panels I've been in, there's been participants that didn't even bother to and read all the applications and maybe attending an entire training to do something they're not even going to <laughs> do thoroughly is unrealistic in that way as much as it would be beautiful of an outcome. I mean, trainings for applicants, certainly. I think at least I, I can only speak for, for my NCEYP Switzerland, but uh, they usually do that at members weekends, alumni weekends or so, where you have the young people, uh, like the first, like the, the people who, who literally just had their first session come and have their first encounter with like the organization as, a, as such. And I think that's definitely a, a good like tool that you can give the people on their way. And at the same time, yeah, it's also a a learning experience that, or a learning process that you have yourself. Um, I mean, I it's a long time ago, but I I went through the uh, the applications that I wrote uh, for when I first wanted to be an official for the first time, and it was just terrible. Um, <laughs> So I, I mean, I'm pretty sure you you might have similar experiences. Um, so to a certain extent, I mean, yeah, it's it's a uh, like just the 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 fact that you're repeating it like that, you're writing applications again and again, and that you need to rephrase your thoughts uh, to different questions. Um, is certainly helpful and it's a good exercise. Um, and I think, yeah, that that's helpful to anybody who, uh, or that's everybody, that's something everybody who has done, let's say at least three sessions is getting a hang on. Um, a training for selection panels, I don't know, yeah. It would be, it's a nice idea, um, but yeah, it, it might be a bit idealistic because um, there are always people on the selection panel who are doing it for the first time. There's also a good number of people who are only doing it once. So they might not be up for a training to begin with, I mean, usually I would, like, I think the best thing you could do is just have a talk about how you want to do this selection before you actually open the call and to have it a very conscious 
act of also setting up this selection. Yeah, I think this kind of trainings for especially applicants, it's very valuable. And I think a lot of that is being done in EYP because it's a very different mindset you take towards applications for after the first time you're in a selection panel yourself. There's a lot of learning for writing applications there, but having it as it is currently as this one random module at the end of a officials 101 training of your national committee is not the most accessible way that we could do it. So it's 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 almost like there should be like a podcast about it or something. <laughs> if only if only there was like a podcast episode about this stuff, you know, and then maybe maybe delegates can or, or like okay, maybe people thinking, you know, I'm applying as an official for the first time and I wanna I want a bit of a sneak peek. I wanna see what is it that these selection people are doing in the background. What what are they thinking about? And so maybe listening to this may or may not help. I don't know. Uh, knowing Nathan, he's already thinking about a online module training oh, yeah. ab- about, <laughs> about apply- applying to sessions. And I think <laughs> there's merit to that. But I think a lot of this kind of knowledge is also a lot better translated through these kinds of conversations that we're having now instead of a module that's text-based so i don't know let's have more of these talks let's um, encourage the whole network to let's talk about how we select people and what we write in our applications how do we express ourselves in these situations absolutely and i think what you can also do is if you're in a role of responsibility um for example as a chairperson towards your committee something that i have done several times is that you just offer your delegates that they can ask you for input on applications in the future i've done that a couple of times that's a practice that should be more commonplace Yeah. And I think it is in the end pretty common. Like I've both requested and offered help with evaluating whether an application comes across as a as what you thought it was coming across. There's a lot of value in having these two conversations about from the selection panel side, but it's there's only so much benefit out of it unless you put that into a practical example of I wrote this. How does this come across? But there's also the point that you should not do that for every single application you send. You'll not learn how to fix those issues that your application writing has. Like ask for help, look at those things that they're saying in more detail and try to, when you write your next application, go back to your previous application, see what the comments were on that, see if you repeated the mistakes. And once you've leveled out those wrinkles in your applications, maybe do it again. See if there's any more wrinkles that came along doing the road. But don't do it for every damn application. <laughs> or, or just ask Joe to write it for you. Like write yeah, some bases and be like, Joe, if I slip you a, I know, twenty euro note, can you can, can you make this nice? Come My on, hourly, hourly rate goes at the way beyond twenty euros. <laughs> 
Okay, damn, damn, my man's getting bougie these days. Damn. <laughs> okay, okay. Maybe that we can like find somewhere to outsource this stuff. Maybe like some EYPs will start advertising on Fiverr, being like, "I will write an application for you." <laughs> Or you do that for the session you're in the selection panel for, ask for the big bucks. And <laughs> okay, George, okay. We, would, we just moved from great entrepreneurship <laughs> to classic corruption and bribery. <laughs> they, they, this is a slippery slope. Are we going to start charging people? Like, is this going to become an auction? Okay, you would like to come to this session? I hear the first starting bid at six euros. Anyone higher? Anyone higher? <laughs> <laughs> I would love to write you a successful application, but I have better offers. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Oh.